Thank you so much. Yeah. There was an online discussion group inviting people to share their stories, their church experiences, but around this theme, this topic, share the stories of uh, church fights they had witnessed in their church. And, but yes, and by the way, the children going to kids' celebration. Now's a great time. Anyway, so, uh, so they gathered them. Tom Rayner selected 25 of them. I'm not going to share all 25, but I thought a few of them you might enjoy this morning. So these are, uh, the churches actually fought over this. Some churches split over some of these, and certainly some members left. Uh, an argument over the appropriate length of the worship pastor's beard. Yeah. A fight over whether or not to build a children's playground or to use the land for a cemetery. Another church, one deacon accusing another deacon of sending an anonymous letter and they decided to settle the matter in the parking lot. Let's see, uh, a church argument and a vote to decide if a clock in the worship center should be removed. I've always wondered why we don't have one, but uh, yeah. A fight over which picture of Jesus to put up in the foyer, which makes you wonder who actually took the picture. Um, a petition to have all the church staff clean shaven. I'm beginning to see a, a theme with some of these. A, a dispute over whether the worship leader should have his shoes on during the service. Thank you. Yes, uh, a big church argument over the discovery that the church budget was all out of balance by 10 cents. And someone finally gave the dime to settle the issue. Uh, a dispute in the church because the Lord's Supper had served, during the Lord's Supper they had served crammed grape juice instead of grape juice. That would have been a nice surprise, yeah. Um, arguments over what type of green beans the church should serve. Two different churches reported fights over the type of coffee. In one of the churches, they moved from Folgers to a stronger Starbucks brand. and the other church, they simply moved to a stronger blend and members left the church. Um, a major conflict when the youth borrowed a crock pot that had not been in use for years in the kitchen. I found that one funny. Thank you. Uh, an argument over whether the church should allow deviled eggs at the church. <laughs> An, a, a disagreement over using the term pot luck instead of pot blessing. That one got a little theological. Um, some church members left a church because one church member hid the vacuum cleaner from them. If you want a vacuum here, you just let us know. All right, we will, we will leave it out with your name on the machine. And another church, a big argument over whether to have gluten-free communion bread or not. Ah, don't you feel better about yourselves? Uh, and by the way, if you do have an interesting story, please feel free to share it with me. We began the year by, uh, by talking about this verse, and we've been exploring it in, in different ways ever since. John chapter 10, beginning with verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, and I came that they might have life and have it abundantly, or that they could have life to the fullest, or my purpose is to give them a rich and a satisfying life. 
We've looked at that. What does it mean for me as an individual? What does it mean for me, my close family, my close friends that I hang out with? What is, what is my role in that? Or the larger picture, what does it mean for us as a community? This morning, we're going to focus on a passage about unity. And we're going to turn to a passage that, well, sometimes this is called the real Lord's Supper. Have we lost these slides? We're going to turn to John chapter 17. And uh, this, is, this is Jesus, this is showing the, the concern of Jesus. Thank you. This is showing the concern of Jesus. The, he knows his time is coming when he is going to be leaving. And so now he turns his attention to those who are left behind. And, and you can hear the concern in his voice. You can begin reading that prayer early in John chapter 17. I want to pick up that prayer in John chapter 17, beginning with verse 20. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will be one just as you and I are one as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. O oh, righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do. And these disciples know you sent me. I have revealed you to them, and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them, and I will be in them. It is an incredibly moving scene where we see the heart of Jesus and the concern of Jesus. And I invite you to go back and to read that entire prayer beginning early in John chapter 17, but play with it a little bit. And where you see the word uh, I, substitute Jesus. And where you see words like they and them, substitute your name or or me. And suddenly the prayer goes like this. Jesus is praying for me. Jesus isn't praying for the world, but for the, but for the people God has given to him. And I belong to God. Jesus isn't in the world any longer, but I'm still in the world. Holy Father, keep Wade, Carmel, Ron, Keep Stephanie, keep Cindy or Trey or Ashley in the name you've given to Jesus, that central Bearden may be one, just as Jesus and the Father are one. Suddenly, you begin to see, not just here, you begin to feel, wait a minute, this is, this is Jesus praying for all of us. This is Jesus being concerned about those who are left behind and the mission that they are facing and, and, and what, where they are living and what they are facing. Imagine if 
just any incredible person from history, any great leader from history, uh, George Washington or Shakespeare, and historians find a letter, and that letter is about you. That's kind of what it's like to go back and to read this Lord's Prayer. And what keeps coming through is this incredible message about unity. And it isn't just here in John's gospel. We often think of the Apostle Paul as this, as this writer about, he's always talking about salvation and he's always talking about justification by faith. And, and it's always about that personal relationship. All of that is absolutely true. Here's the interesting thing. For every passage you find in Paul's letters about salvation, there are six to eight more passages about unity. And they're usually linked together. But it's not something we talk about. It's actually something we enjoy ignoring. Maybe it's because in our culture we've shifted to, well, it's all about me and there's this independence and what makes me happy. And, and, and we are consumers. So for a few moments this morning, let's think about this from the perspective that Jesus gives us. Let's think about the message. Let's think about the tone. Let's think about what he's feeling. Let's think about the heart that's there. And let's reimagine how important this doctrine is, how important this teaching is in the New Testament. And maybe we should ask along the way, what's happened that we've been so willing to ignore it, not to talk about it, or not to pursue it? So let's begin by asking then what, what unity is not. And unity is not uniformity. Not. It's, it's far more about attitude than uniformity. Like any family, Christians come in all shapes and sizes and ages and races and incomes and styles and cultures. Here's the way one person put it. It's a cult, not the church, that demands uniformity outwardly. That's not what Jesus does. It's the church that invites this unity inwardly through love and relationship, much like a healthy family functions when we don't all have the same gifts and abilities and we are very different and we all have very different interests. And we'll come back to that in just a moment. That, that unity instead is relational, not organizational. That Christians belong to a variety of ministries and organizations and churches and networks and denominations and there's no organization big enough to contain all of them or, or, or should be big enough to control all of them. Instead, it's the kingdom of God that has a way of saying where you are and how you are gifted and the interest and passion that you have, and the pain that you have experienced is now something that can help someone else and, and, and draw them in and help guide them and help comfort them and help strengthen them. And unity is not majority rule, and it isn't minority rule. The best word I could find is that it's, it's dialogical. And, and here's why I say this. There's this pattern that we see in Scripture that God desires to dialogue with creation. And in particular, the human part of creation. We see it in the garden when 
as the writer tells us, in the cool of the evening, God is there searching for Adam and Eve, and a discussion begins. We see it when Abraham is dialoguing, almost bargaining with God, trying to save a city and his relatives who are there. We see it when God comes and calls Moses and says, I, I, I want you to go and to lead my people. And instead, of, there's this conversation that begins and Moses laying out all the reasons why this is a very, very bad idea. We see it with the prophets who are called and the prophets who beg God on behalf of the people and intervene with God. And then, of course, we see these incredible conversations that Jesus has sometimes with individuals, sometimes with groups. And isn't that a pattern? Isn't that more than a pattern? Isn't that a model for what it means to be the people of God? As we see them gathering in Acts chapter 15, and they have a big issue on their hands as Gentiles have come in, and now what does it mean to be the people of God? And what happens when all of this diversity comes in of language and culture and experiences, and everyone is not the same anymore, and so they meet together. And, and they talk, and they argue, and they listen, and they pray. And they find their way through it. Because unity is not about methods. It's about mission. The Bible is clear on who God is and what God has called us to be doing. The Bible tells God's people that they should gather together and worship, but it Nowhere does it outline what that worship service should look like. And, and the Bible is clear that parents are to raise their children in the instruction of the Lord, but it doesn't say what kind of education they're supposed to get. And the Bible says that we should sing to the Lord, but it doesn't say what kind of musical style or song selection or, well, a few instruments are listed off, including loud clanging cymbals. Or, I thought I'd throw that one in, yeah. Our unity isn't around the methods. Our unity is around the mission that God has given to us. And, and what is it about that mission that is connected with my passion and ability and your passion and ability and, and the people that you know and come in contact with each day and the people that cross my path and, and I'll never meet the people that you do. And it all sounds so simple when, when we look at just that list and we could add more, but that's a pretty good place to begin. And disunity begins when we talk about each other instead of talking to each other. When we meet in secret and plot and plan against each other. And, and thank you for not being that church. I've, I've been a part as interim pastor in churches where clearly meetings have taken place and, and, and committees and staff members have met and plotted against other committees and staff members and, and church bullies. Some members who seek power in the church so they can get what they want over what other people are needing, and at times they're devious and dangerous and deceptive. 
And a church that doesn't pray together is that church that's going to fragment into these special interest groups instead of asking what is our mission and how are we going to fulfill that mission? Or there's something about the culture in which we live that's got the freedom to the cancel culture. If I don't like what you're saying, I'll just block you. I don't have to listen to another opinion. I only have to listen to the news I like. I don't have to listen to the opinions that I like. I'm not interested in hearing what you like or what you need or what you think. Or churches that are known more for what they're against, instead of seeing the incredible opportunities that are coming their way, in spite of the changes that are taking place in the world in which they live, how would Jesus view those? How would Jesus view that opportunity? How does that fit into the mission that God has called us, the people God has called us to be? Or the failure to share what God has done and is doing. Here's how one person put it. Have you ever known a church member who is both evangelistic and divisive at the same time? But there's something about that person who has that heart to say, let let me tell you what God is doing in my life now. Let let me tell you what God has been showing me. You won't believe what God just kind of opened my eyes during this worship service or during this Bible study or there's this change I need to make in my life. or, Or let me tell you about the incredible grace that God has given to me. And sometimes those bullies in the church gather around them these power groups Uh, several years ago, again, not this church, several years ago, I, I was working with an organization and there was a psychiatrist who was part of that group doing counseling for ministers and we, we were having them on our campus and I'm talking to him about his experience and he said, Wade, this is the way it I, I boils down to, his, as a psychiatrist, this is the way I look at groups. He said, uh, in every church, every church has a psychopath in it. Yeah, he's got my attention now. And he, and he said, the job, of the, the job of the pastor is to take power away from that psychopath because that psychopath will gather around himself or herself other people to get what he or she wants and will gather them around. And, and the job of the pastor is to take power away from the psychopath and to convince healthy people who don't have to be in control that they need to step up and lead. And I said, that sounds like a lot of work, and none of that sounds fun at all. And there's always that silent and fearful majority. But what if we turn it around? Then what is unity? Unity is living under the lordship of Jesus in community with other believers, which means it's no longer about me alone, It's no longer about just what I want, and I say that as pastor. That is, what is it that you need? What's happening in your life? What are the hurts that you're experiencing or the challenges that you're experiencing? Living under the lordship of Jesus in community with other believers, but more than that, participating in the mission God has given to us. Which is another way of saying it's not just about me and it's not just about us, but it's about the bigger picture of what God is doing in the world and who God is still wanting to reach and who, who's God's heart and God's love is, is still going out to. So where do we go from here? What do I do this week? 
What do you do this week? I'm just going to narrow it down to two very simple things. Well, let me change that. Two things, neither of which are very simple. And the first one is this. It begins with prayer. And that is, I'm going to pray. And as I begin praying, it's not just going to be a list of the things I think God should be doing. I'm pretty sure God's aware of those. But I'm going to actually stop long enough to listen for God's voice. What's God saying to me? What's God saying to you? In spite of the needs that you're feeling or the anxiety that you have or, or the pain that you're carrying or the fear, the hurt, in spite of all of those questions, can we stop long enough to give God a chance to speak? And somewhere in that listening, after I've given that a chance, what if I begin praying for the people who I do have difficulty with in community? What if I begin praying for people, and it does seem like they're demanding an awful lot for them and not for others, or, or they do seem to be hypercritical, or they do seem to be plotting, or, or they do seem to be focused more on method than mission, or what if we begin praying for them? And what would happen if every one of us looked for opportunities to give up my way this week? What if every one of us in our home decided this? I'm going to look for somewhere this week. Oh, I wish Melissa wasn't here. I'm going to look for somewhere this week to go, wait a minute. You, you, you say you want or need this, and I say I want or need that. I'm going to stop for just a moment and go, it's not about me. I'm going to, I'm going to practice giving that up. I wish you could be right here and see, see families looking at each other right now. It's fascinating. Yeah. yeah. And, and what happens if I do that at work? What happens if I do that and I'm in a hurry and I'm running into the store or the doctor's office or, or I'm sitting in my homeroom, classroom? Or in the... What happens when we're talking about the mission of the church and where God is leading us in the and the possibilities to reach new people. What happens when I turn that out from, we all have things we like and prefer, and now I start asking, but, but what does my neighbor need? What does the person in the other pew need? What is that person we're trying to reach? What is it that they need? In just a moment, we're going to share in the Lord's Supper. We're, we're going to gather around that table and it's no longer just about me, it's now about us. And as we do that, I want you to begin asking some of those questions. We're going to give you a, an opportunity to just sit quietly and to just wonder and listen for God. That list about disunity, it, do you find yourself in there? Did, did one or two of those kind of strike home like, hmm, let's stop and pray about that for a moment. Or, or the list about what unity is not. Is, is there something there that really resonated with you? Then let's, let's stop and just you and God 
how can I be a part of what God is wanting to do? If, if there are six to eight more verses in the New Testament about unity than there are salvation and justification by faith, then, then this is a big deal. Not that you give up your individualness, but you are an individual serving God in this mission. We don't want you to stop being an, an individual. We need your individualness. We need your gifts and your passion, the, the perspective that you bring, the experience and the insight that you bring. We, we need all of that or we aren't the church. We aren't really the people of God. So before I lead us in prayer, is, is there anyone, you, you did not pick up one of the communion cups within the room. You did not pick one of those up. We have our deacons in the back. If you'll just raise your hand, they'll be happy to serve you. Anyone who's, who needs one of these communion cups, right? Then would you join me in prayer? Lord, hear our prayers as we read the prayer that you prayed for us. We are moved and convicted and we feel loved and wanted and needed and a little bit guilty. And so would you shine the light, not on our neighbors, not on someone else, would you shine the light on, on me what is it you would like to do through me? How would you like to use me to bless someone else? Uh, how would you like to use my gifts or abilities or resources to bring someone closer to you or share the gospel with a neighbor or take the gospel around the world? Thank you for including us, loving us, and uniting us. In Christ's name, amen. I invite you to carefully peel off that top layer and hold the wafer in your hand. I'll read from scripture and we'll share together in just a moment. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interest of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. For I received from the Lord that which I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread, 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body that's given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us share together. Carefully prepare the cup. You are all God's children through faith in Christ Jesus. All of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, if you belong to Christ, then indeed you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. And in the same way, he took the cup also after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let us share together. We are all different. And God wants it that way. We all have different passions and different abilities, strengths, and weaknesses. Let's give thanks to God. Lord, with open hearts and open minds, we say thank you for your grace, thank you for your love, and thank you for loving variety. And now we say use us for your glory, for your kingdom, Help us lean into that abundant life. We can't have it alone. We only find it with others. In Christ's name, amen. Some of you are old enough to remember Bob Geldof, who was deeply involved in that charity fundraising, oh my goodness, it's been quite a while now, Band-Aid. Do you remember Band-Aid? Okay. Uh, while he was setting that up, he had the chance to meet Mother Teresa. The second I met Mother Teresa, she struck me as being the living embodiment, embodiment of moral good. I felt I had no business sitting beside this tiny giant there was no false modesty about her, and there was a certainty of purpose which left her little patience. But she was totally selfless. Every moment her aim seemed to be, how can I use this or that situation to help others? She was never pious about this. She's one of the few people who have impressed me on sight. I was in awe of her. But God isn't calling us to be a Bob Geldof or even a Mother Teresa. But God is reminding us of these words from Ephesians. To each one of us, grace has been given 
It was God who gave some to be. And then there's this list. And why? To prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, grown up, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What was it that Mother Teresa said to Bob Geldof? Remember this, I can do something you can't, and you can do something I can't. But we both have to do it. I can do something you can't, you can do something I can't. But we both have to do it. Will you please stand as we continue our worship, listening for God's voice. Mm-hmm.